This is the Bemal Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we talk about Jesus' critique of rabbinic traditions and the surprise he encounters in the region of Phoenicia. And back from two podcasts ago, we have Dr. Gambino with us again. Dr. Christopher Gambino. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. Good stuff. So, uh, Mr. Billings, every verse. So, we need to pick up in Matthew 15. First one. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, is that important that they came from Jerusalem? Um, ooh, good question. I mean, obviously it's important, but what, I mean, what does that say? I mean, yeah. Um, Pharisees from Pharisees and teachers of the law from Jerusalem are, are maybe, I don't know if we can assume this. This is such a good question to start off the podcast. Were they coming off of like a big council? Uh, not necessarily. One of but those, they, what if, are we going to do about this Jesus guy things? Well, I mean, potentially I, the thing I'm going to wrestle with is I'm, I'm going to assume they live there and that means they're not Galilean Pharisees, which means they're going to be more apt to align with not the Sadducee worldview, but they're going to be more Judean. So instead of like backwoods, charismatic, hillbilly Galileans, they're going to be like, and, and that just, it's so hard to make these parallels because that doesn't mean they're not educated when I say that. The Pharisees in Galilee were unbelievably devoted and unbelievably educated. Capernaum, come on. But these are like a different kind of sophisticated Judaism, perhaps, which seems to fit the context here. All right. So they ask, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. All right. Important to note, what do they call that? They break the what? The tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders. So does Torah tell us we have to wash our hands before we eat? Doesn't seem like it. Doesn't seem like it. This is what we might call later. It's not truly this yet, but it is being formed at this point in Jesus' day. Uh, what they're going to end up calling halakha. Halakha is the walk, is what it means. Um, it's the way that you walk. And they use that term to reference the rabbinic rulings and the rabbinic traditions of what does... What does it look like to live out Torah? So we've talked about, I believe, before the fence, Brent. We've talked about that before, right? The fence that surrounds the yeah the 613. Okay. So that fence, which ends up becoming the Mishnah, which ends up becoming the Talmud uh, that, that Chris referenced a couple episodes ago, that Babylonian or Jerusalem Talmud, that is your larger fence. And that is, that is going to be the canonized version of the tradition of the elders, so to speak. That's somewhat oversimplified. But for our listeners' sake, that will probably do. So they're saying, hey, we've decided that we're supposed to wash our hands. Why don't you guys wash your hands like we have decided we're all supposed to wash our hands? Go ahead. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Snap. Okay, keep going. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Okay, now this is important to me as a Torah-observant Jew who also follows Jesus. Um, that can be a confusing thing for everybody from Messianic Jews to Orthodox Jews that I might meet because everybody can't figure out why Marty doesn't do this or do that and he, when he follows his Torah. And part of that is because 
as I read my Jesus, Jesus is my rabbi. Jesus is where my buck stops as a Jesus follower. I'm going to interpret my Judaism through my Jesus. I'm not going to interpret my Jesus through my Rambam later. Uh, I'm, I'm going to interpret my, and that's going to rub Orthodox Judaism the wrong way today. And I try to honor that and respect that and not be obnoxious with that. But as I read about my Jesus, one of the things I find Jesus doing is Jesus is thinking critically about those rulings. He doesn't just follow them because the whole community is. He's like, sometimes you're, now that's not to say that Jesus never follows. I would assume that Jesus follows halakha. In fact, I would even assume that Jesus and his disciples wash their hands most of the time. They probably just aren't following all the the dotting the I's and crossing the T's or whatever it is that they're doing, or maybe they don't do it at certain times to make a point. It could have more intentionality to it. But Jesus seems to look at the traditions and the rulings of the elders and say, listen, sometimes you guys are making decisions and rulings about our behavior that aren't aligned with what Moses taught us in Torah. Um. And, and when and when they don't align with the written word, the written revelation, the written Torah, the books of Moses, I ain't doing it. Um, and and so that has always informed me a little bit. I am going to think critically about the halakha that I follow as a Jewish believer myself. And this is one of those passages that I go to. And Jesus critiques them quite heavily by saying, "You've actually used your traditions to get around what is at times the very heart." Of Torah. Of course, I'm sure we don't do this much today, right, Mr. Gambino? In our church system today, right? We never come up with like loopholes or I'm, I'm, I'm prodding right now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. trying to promote. Yeah, you should have uh, laid these out two episodes ago and I would have <laughs> jumped. I would have jumped when we were talking about uh, people's reactions to Jesus' mic drop. Yeah. 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 This is uh, relevant material, I think. Uh, so go ahead, Brent. Pick up where you left off. You nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Which I love because he then goes to the text to critique the way that they engage the text. It's just so good. I just love that. So rabbinic of him. Yeah, and that if we if we jump back to that, I, th- I think the point being is the traditions right and then jesus goes straight to exodus and he's actually pulling um matthew's quoting jesus pulling from the whole section of laws there's a particular law jesus is talking about here regarding the father and mother but this is a whole torah portion that is about the laws that come right after the commandments come down from sinai are you telling me it's in the text i'm telling you this is in the text all right keep I'm, going then. yeah i like and this you, you got you got footnotes but if you don't have footnotes jesus is quoting out of uh exodus 21 and we've got two two portions here so we've got exodus 21 15 and exodus 21 17 so in 15 whoever strikes his father or his mother must be put to death then there's this little thing in between about a kidnapping. And then it goes to whoever curses his father or mother must be put to death. Oh my goodness, this is fantastic. And this whole section, 21.4 to 24, is laws. And the interesting thing I find is that Jesus is pointing back to laws about people. So if I read the subtext, or if I read the subtitles in my text, we got laws about personal injury. We got laws about theft, crops, personal property, the vulnerability, and and all these laws about people, whereas the the traditions that he's kind of calling out here are really about kind of your own little thing. 
not so much how to protect people. That may be slightly relevant for the world you and I live in today. Like adventures and missing the point type. You know, we just love to come up with all kinds of things that we deem as incredibly important. And in the mean, in the meantime, or along the way, just trample over people. And fits everything that we learned earlier, the Sermon on the Mount, all of that Jesus agenda stuff. I think the one of the, the law sometimes is hard when you in, engage folks that are uh, Jesus followers. The law becomes this really sticky thing, and I, I've been following some folks, some rabbis that talk about it in a in a way that invites a different understanding of it. So the law section that Jesus is quoting here is coming right after those ten commandments come come. We're talking about in Exodus twenty, and they reference the laws as being these this ability to comment and unpack those commandments. So we got commandments that we, that most of us know really well, those, those 10, and then these laws they cite as being commentary on those commandments. And reason being is they suggest that this whole thing, all these laws are stories. So there's stories of the Torah become laws. So there's a whole lot of questions to ask yourself then about what this whole section of law is, where has it happened before, and what is it trying to reference? And then when we jump all the way into Matthew, what is Jesus trying to get these people to understand? So is there that verse that lies in the middle? Do you have any insight onto, is there anything particularly important about the kidnapping verse that lies in the middle of those two references that Jesus quotes? Any relevance to this teaching here? So there was some rabbinic commentary on why there'd be these two verses out of order. Um, and it's and it's almost, um, if I recall, it almost has to do with the way that we are engaging and treating our uh, mother and father as if we rob and steal from them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was going to think. That, that, that expression of to kidnap uh, is definitely an expression used to, to steal one's like to steal one's name, you're stealing their... It's hard to talk about in our Western, uh, understanding our Western language, but that Hebrew expression, refer. you're robbing, like to kidnap isn't just taking the physicality of their person and their body. The idea is that you're robbing their actual essence and identity as a person, which just goes along exactly with what you're saying here. And now I'm going back as I just kind of talk out loud and I'm looking at um, these two verses... Uh, that Jesus quotes, um, honor your father and mother and cur- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great because, because if you curse your father and your mother, you're, what you're doing is you're really robbing them of their dignity, um, which is what you're doing if you then go on to refuse something that you could give them to take care of them, but don't because, well, I got to offer a sacrifice. Sorry, mom and dad. And Jesus says, you totally abuse Torah. You abolish Torah when you do this. That's excellent. Love that. Thank you, Mr. Gambino. Fantastic. All right, keep going, Brent. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? (laughs) I love that. He, He replied, I mean, why wouldn't they be? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. 
Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. I wish I knew more about. I've done word studies, and I'm not sure that Matthew was written in the Greek to begin with, so I don't know exactly what to do with that, but I want to know more about the heart and the tone with which Jesus said that to Peter and what he truly is trying to communicate. But yeah, the way we read it in the English is like, ah, Peter, you're such an idiot. (laughs) Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Boy, I think on. that gives Those credence. Are the laws. Ah, no. Those are the yeah, laws. I was just going to say that gives credence to everything Woo. the good doctor was talking about over here. Man, that's juicy. I like that. Whew. Yeah, and, and which which I love because in a very practical sense, like touching unclean things, eating, un- like that does make you unclean, even in the books of Moses, Torah and Jesus, like that's not the point. Like the point is people and what your heart, where your heart is, is actually what drives all this other stuff. Like out of your heart is where, where all these actions are going to come out of, out of your heart is what you actually believe about people. And it drives how you treat people in the first place. And so that's where the cleanliness lies. That's where I, I just love that. Just Jesus getting, getting even more practical than the practical, if you will. And everything he names is something that hurts someone else. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all that back half of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, the back half, and this is how the this is a quote from the from uh, I'm can't remember which rabbi. This is a quote from one of the rabbis that had pointed me to the laws section. That the stories and those laws that become commentaries on those stories are speaking to complex human experiences. Again, back to this human component that Jesus has invited us into. Yeah, that's good. Absolutely. All right, let's go through one more story, Brent, and I'm just going to let you read it, and then I have some notes that I'm going to kind of read off of, and we'll close off by looking at this last story here. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This girl's got some chutzpah. Mm. I like it. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. All right, so Jesus finally... And this story manages to do what he's been trying to do since the beheading of John the Baptist uh, a couple episodes ago. He finally gets away to get a little R&R, pull away for some alone time, if you will. And uh, in order to find this alone time, he has to go all the way to Phoenicia, which I just love that. Like The only way he's going to get away from these crowds of Jewish observers is to go to a pagan nation where there's no way that they're going to follow him to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Which I love, by the way, in this story, Matthew calls her a what woman? I just love this because Matthew's audience is what, Brent? The mumser. The or what's the audience? That's oh, the agenda. Oh, the audience. Sorry, the Jews. The Jews, and he calls her a what? A Canaanite woman. Canaanite. If we're in, if we're in Mark, do you know what he calls her? Mm. 
a Syrophoenician, because okay. Mark's audience is... The Romans. Romans. Are there Canaanites anymore? No, there wouldn't be. There wouldn't be. And yet for Matthew's audience, he calls her a Canaanite to make the point of the outsider, the who she is as far as part of the biblical narrative, not just the socio-political, geographical location. I just love that. Anyway, little little tidbit. But he has to go all the way to Syrophoenicia to get this done, this, this like rest that he's been looking for. But this little R&R, this little breather that he needs, doesn't uh, last long. It takes a mere two verses, Mr. Brent Billings, for him to encounter somebody who needs his attention, finds this Gentile Canaanite woman. She begins to beg Jesus to heal her daughter, but Jesus ignores her. Again, this isn't like Jesus is always drawn to every single person that has a need, like he's, he's trying to pull away. He's trying to get on this retreat. He's trying to get some solitude to recharge his batteries. And so Jesus ignores her, just like Jesus, right? And this is kind of interesting because he doesn't say a word, it says. Right. And then the woman is apparently saying enough that actually get the disciples to say something to Jesus. And I think typically they're going to say, well, we're, we're following a rabbi. We do what he does. But like, she's being so persistent that they're right. like, um, can, will you please right. like, do Deal something? Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus does like, instead of rebuking his disciples, Jesus turns around and tells her like, he has not come to help the Gentiles, which he's been preaching about the Gentiles this whole time in the book of Matthew. So some, like Jesus has been, Jesus believes his job, as you're going to see it here in the story, is to go to the lost sheep of Israel. My people are off course, Jesus says. My job is to go work with this Pharisaic world and to tell them that they need to be on mission and love people like you. But I'm not here for you. Like, that's not what I'm here for. Like, ouch. <laughs> like, if I'm this woman. It's like, it's like he's using the Gentiles to illustrate, like, I'm seeing more of what you're supposed to be doing in the Gentiles than I am in you. Right. It's like a, it's like a prompt for them. Right. But not, sure. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with him helping the Gentiles directly. Right. So the Gentiles don't uh, take over the covenant. Tell me more. We're not, uh, so my question is, I've heard a lot about these Gentile folks becoming the new the new people of God. <laughs> so there is an edge of sarcasm to that question. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, apparently that's not how this story is going. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. There's no replacement theology here. Get that icky stuff out of here. Be gone. Evil spirit of replacement theology. So she continues to beg him. Like I said, she's got some chutzpah. Like the, the rabbi has now addressed you twice. He's ignored you and now addressed you. Um, he reiterates his response as she continues to beg him. Only this time, he uses what really appears to us to be incredibly strong language. It is not right, he says, to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Like just when you thought this story couldn't get any worse, Jesus ignoring the woman, Jesus um, telling her, I'm not, I, I'm not here for you. He then, like, did Jesus just call her a dog? Uh, good to point out, by the way, some context as we fly through here. Because uh, something we mentioned, I think we might have mentioned this even in a previous podcast. I can't remember. I think in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it was cultural slang in the first century in the Jewish world to refer to, to refer to the Gentiles as dogs or even pigs. And it doesn't have quite the derog. It's hard for us to even process in the Western language. It didn't have quite the derog. Think Ezekiel. We just talked about Ezekiel a couple podcasts ago, Brent. And what was it that always symbolized the Gentiles? Give me some examples in Ezekiel. Oh, gosh. Uh... What come and nest in the tree? 
the, the, the mustard the, the seed. Birds. The birds. Yeah. What are we catching in a net? Fish. Fish. Animals always. So we're like dogs, pigs. Ooh, gross. Gentiles. But we we read into it a lot more derogative references than that's a very typical Jewish slang to talk about. That comes really out of the text to talk about the Gentile people, and it doesn't have like that connotation that we might read into it. But Jesus is saying quite clearly. It still doesn't get rid of like the actual problem here because Jesus is now reiterating for the second time, I am here to work with the Jewish people. I'm trying to catch a breather here. But this explanation doesn't satisfy the rest of the story. The woman responds with the following words. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And at this, Jesus is astounded. His response is, woman, you have great faith. And he grants her request. Like, wait a minute, what just took place here? Like, what was it about that statement that gets Jesus to turn his opinion on its head in like one single sentence? Um, But before I answer that, I want to entertain a possibility in our listeners' heads. And this will be a stretch for some, but I want to challenge us with this. I'd like you to consider the idea that Jesus learns things, learns things, that he can be unaware of a certain truth because Jesus is operating in his total human nature. I would never take away from Jesus's divinity, by the way, or his divine nature for one moment. I believe that Jesus is 100% divine, and I affirm historic Christian orthodoxy. But I also believe that Philippians 2 teaches us very clearly that Jesus set his God nature aside and came to function as a man. So while he was God, he did not consider equality with God, Philippians says, something to be held onto, the proper translation would say something to grasp, something to hold on to, but he set it aside and came here to walk among us as a man. New NIV says not something to be used to his advantage. Yes. He's not, he's like, yeah, I could do that, but that's not how I'm going to work here. Right. That's not what I've come to do. Uh, There's a couple more references. Jesus says in the gospel of John, uh, everything I have learned, the actual Greek, if you look at that, everything I have learned Some translations will say everything I have been given, I have passed on to you. The actual Greek is everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Uh, There's a passage in uh, Hebrews that talks about how Jesus had to learn obedience is the Greek word. Jesus is a learner. It doesn't mean he was sinful. It just means he was a learner. He learned things. He came to realize things. Uh, I would like to suggest that Jesus in his human nature was a learner. And I believe this is important here because I remember when I was studying this in Israel originally, Ray Vanderlaan uh, made the point, he thinks this is the moment where everything, like Jesus, the lights go on for Jesus. Because up to this moment, Jesus is like, I'm here for the Jews and I'm telling the Jews about the Gentiles, but my agenda is not the Gentiles. My agenda is the Jews. And he thinks this is the story where Jesus goes, oh my goodness, I'm here for the Gentiles as well. I'm not just here for the Jews, but I'm here for everybody, Jew and Gentile. But what is it that makes that light bulb go off for Jesus? Like what just turned Jesus's opinion and potentially if my teacher is correct, if Ray is correct, alters the trajectory of the ministry of Jesus? Well, where do you think we're going to find the answer, Mr. Brent? In the text. In the text. Like, what is it that gets Jesus' attention? What is it that makes him go, holy smokes, you are, you are a woman of great faith. Like, what in the world? There's a passage, actually, that uh, if we knew, Jesus is in what region, Brent? Before we jump to it, though, okay. 
Should we maybe look at Peshat even? Sure. Go ahead. Because she says, he's like, well, you know, the children's bread, tells to the dogs. But even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. She's like saying on the surface, she's saying, we have the same master. Sure. We have the same God. Sure. Right? Yeah. She could. Okay. I, I, I'll keep wrestling with that. All right. All right, let's jump into into a okay. We need to find it. That so reference. you started with Pasha. Let's go Remez. I think uh, Chris, you've got it. What's your What's your address here? We're going into First Kings seventeen seven through sixteen. After a while, the wadi dried up because there was had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, and the hymn here is Elijah. Elijah. Okay. Get up. Go to Zarephath, that belongs to Sidon. And stay there. Wait a minute. Belongs to where? Sidon. Sidon. Where, where is Jesus right now in this story? In that region. He's in the same area where the story took place. Now, we Gentiles read our New Testaments and we don't pay attention to geography because we could care less. Who cares? Like, okay, he's with the Gentiles. Cool. No, 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 no. He's not just with the Gentiles. It's where he's at. He's at a place where a story already took place. Okay, keep going. Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow woman gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup and let me drink. As she went to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have anything baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now I am gathering a couple sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said. Only make me a small loaf from it and bring it out here to me. Afterwards, you may make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The flour jar will not become empty, and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. She and he and her household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty, and the oil jug did not run dry. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through Elijah. All right, so Elijah and this widow in Zarephath basically survive on a starvation ration is what most scholars say this would have been. Like, this is not like, oh, they had some bread to eat every day, like a good amount of bread. They had barely enough bread to eat, like that just enough we looked at in session one. They had just enough bread to eat, barely, every single day. This story is literally about a widow who eats crumbs, like literally. Eat crumb, eats crumbs, and Elijah is the first person in the text to be connected to what word? Brent, can you remember? This is a throwback. Chris, you can play too if you can remember. Jewish thought. Are we talking about chutzpah here? Not quite, but that is definitely at play here, by the way. Like, the character of chutzpah. By the way, Jesus just talked about this story in Nazareth two episodes ago. Do you remember this? Like he was just talking about Elijah and the widow at Zarephath. And he ends up being here and she, uh, okay, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked here. But it's good. Elijah is the first person to be connected with the word master. 
the word master in the Hebrew is the same root word that rabbi comes from. And so in Jewish thought, the first rabbi, rab, the first rav, the first master with a talmid was Elijah and Elisha. So Elijah has always been connected to the idea of master. Who was the first master? The first master was Elijah. When she says, but even, what was her exact quote, Brent? Do you have it? Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She says, I, she, she, I believe this with all my heart. She knows her text. Like the text text, like the, I don't know if she knows the written text text. She knows the fact that this story happened here. And she says, yeah, Jesus, but even Phoenician widows eat starvation ration crumbs from Elijah's table. And Jesus goes, oh my goodness, woman, you have amazing faith. This woman in the story of Jesus knows her text and it blows him away. So I've now given us a few hard cells. Like we talked about uh, the numbers of the feeding of the 5,000 a couple episodes ago. I asked you to consider the fact that Jesus learned things today. Uh, I'm going to try to wrap up and try to, like, there's a lot of things that are like, oh man, I don't know if I can buy some of this stuff. I'm going to try to pull it together here and try to sell it in what I believe is going to be our next episode, at least uh, get us most of the way home there on some of these ideas. So we'll pull that together next. You guys got any additional thoughts here? So good. So juicy. I can't wait for the next episode. (laughs) When it's time. Much as Jesus' mind may have been blown, my mind was blown when when, uh, I first heard this teaching. I love it. Yeah, love it. Anything else? Mr. Good Doctor? No, that's good. That is good. Um, The Elijah story connection. Yeah. Love it. All right. We got all kinds of connections going on here. We're jumping back to Exodus. We're jumping back to... Uh, Elijah's story. Good stuff. Um, let's see. Chris, you can find you on Twitter at Sustaining Now. Your website is sustainingnow.com, the Shuva Project. Check it out for all kinds of juicy connections between Torah and the book of Luke. And let's see. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Find Brent on Twitter at EIBCB. That's true. You can find Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon. Also true. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find all the details you need about the show at BaymaDiscipleship.com. So thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.